Coming up on this week's show, a new Simpsons retro point-and-click adventure. How to play Sega Saturn games on your PlayStation 4. And we chat to the voice behind Soul Calibur, Mortal Kombat, and over 300 video games, Lanny Manella. The Retro Hour podcast is brought to you each and every week with our good friends at Bitmap Books. Now, something you need to check out that's coming up from them this month is Go Straight, the ultimate guide to side-scrolling beat-em-ups. Celebrating classics like Streets of Rage, Golden Axe, Final Fight, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and over 450 pages, this takes a deep dive into beat-em-up legends. Pre-orders are available from February 14th, and check out the full details at bitmapbooks.co.uk. Hello and welcome to the Retro Hour podcast, episode number 313, your weekly dose of retro gaming and technology news with me, Dan Wood. Me, Ravi Abbott. And me, Joe Fox. And welcome to this week's show, taking you behind the scenes on classic video games and, of course, a healthy dose of nostalgia laid on as well. You know, I'm really hoping that Ravi is on his A-game this week, because you and I are probably not, are we, Joe? Yeah, I'm not feeling, uh, I say I'm not feeling 100%. I'm feeling about 5%, to mm. be perfectly honest. Um, <laughs> it, it's been it's been two years coming, but COVID has finally got me. But not only has it finally got me, it's got me like two days after you got it as well, didn't it, Dan? Uh, Which, Ben, we haven't seen each other. We haven't other. seen this each other. Like, you know, it's nothing a, I've transmitted to. A pure coincidence uh, that we've both got it at the same time. But I'm here, I'm powering through, I'm on the energy drinks. You know, and Ravi has pulled it out of the bag this week and just done like he's done the whole interview on his own. He's done pretty much all the research he episode on his own, just so I could stay all tucked up in bed. So I really appreciate that. Well, it's it's pretty awesome because I, I don't know we're doing interviews separately at the moment. I guess it's with time and stuff. We're not we're not splitting up as the retro hour team and <laughs> and, and Joe and, and Joe and I were shivering in bed. I think when yeah, I, I had a fever because <laughs> you guys did an amazing interview last week. Uh, that that was really good fun, and I really enjoyed that. Ian Grieve, what a legend! Oh, absolute legend. And uh, today we've got another legend on, and this is something a bit different. Uh, we've never had a video game voice actor on before so this is a really entertaining interview it's with Lani Manella and she's an absolutely amazing vocalist like I can't believe how much stuff she's done she started like this interview we talk all about it and she started with Laserdisc and kind of you know the really early days of doing voice on video games went into CD-ROM was a voice director behind Duke Nukem 3D so, you know, she was playing all the female roles in Duke Nukem 3D. She found Johnson John as well, who uh, played Duke himself. You know, she mm. she went into Diablo, um, just loads of titles. Uh, we talk about Bubs- Bubsy 3D, your absolute favourite game there, Dan. <laughs> she was actually the voice of Bubsy. She, she does she does Bubsy on the interview. Wow. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Unreal <laughs> Tournament. Um, uh, the list could go on. The Last of Us. Uh, you know... Just looking at her credits, it's absolutely insane. And this chat's really interesting because we talk about the kind of development and progression. Because, you know, back then, a lot of studios just used their staff as voice actors for games. And especially when CD-ROMs were coming out and stuff, you know, uh, they they really didn't think of it as a a main kind of thing, especially not being realistic as well. Like um, realism is in games now and it's what it's all about but back then it was like uh, 
a bit a bit of a kind of novelty to even have a voice on a game. And you know what, actually, it's kind of a part of gaming where there are so many like voice clips and stuff in games. And when you talk about, you know, Mortal Kombat and Soul Calibur, you know, beat em up games like that, where we all recognise those voice samples in there. And they're a big part of the game, but they're probably a lot more subconscious than something like the graphics, for example, but still a very big part of it. Yeah, but even like the sounds of, she does a whole piece where she's talking about getting hit by a grenade or getting hit by a bullet yeah. and, and and how the kind of expression needs to be really extreme and, and, and really out there. And when she actually did a lot of these sounds, I was instantly transported back to, you know, like playing FPS games on my PC back in the days. And, uh, you know, it's, it's just amazing to kind of hear. And uh, it's a great area for us to explore, actually, uh, voice acting in video games, especially for an audio podcast. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm sure you're going to be familiar with many of the games uh, that Ravi chats about with our special guest, Lanny Manella, coming up on the show in around 25 minutes from now. Now, uh, we're poised over our mute buttons for uh, fits of coughing, I'm sure, Joe, but yep. we can get into the new stories this week. Because <laughs> there is, I mean, there's loads of good news stories that we need to chat about. And uh, The Simpsons, I mean, admittedly, you know, The Simpsons on TV kind of past its prime now. I still watch it if it comes on. But there are some incredible Simpsons video games. And this one, I was quite pleased to see, is not only a retro-style point-and-click adventure game that takes one of the best scenes of classic Simpsons. Someone has made the famous steamed hams scene into a retro point-and-click game. I love this. Like, I absolutely love this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hand it over to Ravi in, sec- in a second to tell us more about the game. But I just... I, I adore season like one to 10 of the Simpsons, you know, and it really peaks kind of like season three to season seven. And the steamed hams episode is from season seven, the uh, episode where it's like just the short films about Springfield. There's like, I think it's called 22 yeah. short films about Springfield or something like that. And the whole like uh, with principal skin <laughs> and he's meant to be making lunch for uh, superintendent Chalmers and he goes and buys the, the crusty burgers is uh, to me. It's, it's just it- like, legendary isn't it (laughs) it's the (laughs) ultimate farce like uh you you see that episode and to me that's like laurel and hardy or something yeah Skinners and charmers it's like yeah 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 so classic american and every line is like it gets more and more ridiculous like his whole house (laughs) is on fire and he's just like okay see you and it's like and he's just like what's going in there and he's like it's the northern lights and he's like what it's like it's the aura borealis (laughs) or whatever it is and he's like in your kitchen he's like yeah in march he's like yeah yeah. <laughs> and and this has basically become a meme because everybody just loves it so much. I remember seeing like the Vaporwave remixes of uh, uh, Steam yeah. Hams that people did and mm. stuff. But this seems to be a, a kind of graphical adventure in the style of like La- Leisure Suit Larry or, yeah. or one of these old games. Monkey Island, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it's even got it, the, 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 the fonts and the text um, look font- exactly like Monkey Island. And the Scum Engine UI and everything, it's all very similar to, yeah, those classic LucasArts adventures. It looks to me like you have to pick, like, what actually happens in the episode for it to kind of, like, play out, you know, to do what it's it's meant to do. But it just looks like it's been crafted really, really well. So this has been made by Neo Dement on Game Jolt. Is that correct? Yeah, so what it is, I mean, it's only a very short game. Mm. It's around six minutes. It is just that scene. Yeah. Um, so it's not like a full experience or anything. It's really just a, you know, a, a short mini game you can play for a bit of fun. And uh, 
he's put it up there. I mean, obviously, the big thing everyone's going to be asking is, uh, you know, obviously Disney own copyright to The Simpsons now. Oh, yeah. Are they going to be all right with this? And they're actually saying, you know, there is disclaimers in there saying all trademarks belong to them and everything. And, you know, they're encouraging you to buy official they, products. They can't stop the power of steamed hams. It's like such a big <laughs> thing on the internet. They're not going to be able to take it down. Like, they'll, they'll, be, they'll have to have a department dedicated to taking down steamed hams content. I just, I, that's brilliant. I just love it how, like, you have to, like, click on the steamed hams in your inventory and put it on the table and stuff like that and serve it to him. It's just, it's so silly, but I love it. And the graphical style of it really does look like you'd be playing it on, like, like you say, like an old PC or the Super Nintendo. Yeah, it, or it looks, it does look more like, I know you're saying it's Super Nintendo, it looks more, and I, maybe that's because I've got the association of Simpsons games with being on, like, those those platforms yeah it does seem a bit like more like that than say monkey islands um yeah where it's a bit more you know detailed but then that's the simpsons look isn't it kind of yeah. cartoony and you know yeah they've captured it really really well i love it yeah so if you're a fan of those uh, classic point and click adventure games and you want a bit of a giggle for a few minutes like I said, it's only a short game and it's uh, free to download you can play it on windows and it's on the uh, game jolt website so i'll link that up if you want to give it a free download at the retrohour.com now, something else that I know um, we've been talking about on the show for quite a while, all these rumours that keep going out, and to be honest, it's looking more and more likely that we are going to get a reboot of GoldenEye 007 for the Xbox. Now, we did have that um, little leak about the Xbox achievements that we talked about a couple of months ago, didn't we? When um, there was actually an achievements list for GoldenEye on the Xbox One yeah. that was leaked out there. But now it looks like there could be um, a few more clues as to this coming game. Yeah, so there's been a tweet doing the rounds, which was tweeted on uh, February 4th by somebody called Andy Robinson, who tweeted, I wouldn't be surprised if a certain super spy returns in the next few weeks. Now, obviously, that could mean anybody. It could be Secret Squirrel. I can't think of any spy versus spy, but no, it's it's definitely, it's got to be, it's got to be James Bond because Andy Robinson uh, used to work for Platonic Games um, which, you know, notably is comprised of many of the developers who worked for Rare and worked on GoldenEye. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, people... They, they did ukulele, didn't they? Yeah, um, I believe, so, yeah. Yeah, that's kind of like a follow-on uh, to Banjo yeah. and Kazooie as well. So that's like a kind of connection with Rare there. Yeah, so it's like we're we're putting the puzzle together here ourselves, but, you know, it's not like 2 plus 2 equals 5. It is 2 plus 2 equals 4, you know, with the evidence there. So I, I feel like from that tweet, we're probably going to see, you know, some sort of trailer or something, you know, coming in the next couple of days. I mean, we're recording this on the 8th. So, you know, that that's four days ago that tweet's been out there now. It's not been removed or anything like that. So hopefully it comes because, you know, as Ravi said before, we end up talking a lot about rumours on the show yeah. and we just you just want it to become true sometimes. It's it just is, like, just it come is out. speculative, but it's yeah. also, it's like... It's the ultimate, isn't it? Getting Goldeneye on a new system yeah. and having new features like achievements and uh, online multiplayer. You know, for me, it's like Goldeneye and a Dreamcast 2 and I'd just be like in heaven. <laughs> <laughs> the two ultimate things that I want. That would be know? amazing. When I said that as well, I was thinking of all the Sagan right rumours we always talk about. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that would be, or Goldeneye on the Dreamcast 2. <laughs> would be exclusive would, would be pretty amazing but yeah hopefully we'll get there eventually but hopefully in the next couple of weeks 
we will actually see something, you know. And there's a lot of Bond mania at the moment, you know, the success of the last film. It, it makes uh, sense to me. It's like, uh, you know, it's a guaranteed score, that is. If yeah. they do it right, you know, that's that's going to be huge. And yeah, I think it'll probably be huger than many of the retro titles that have come out and many other ports that have come out. It's like, you know, the the ultimate one that we we all wanted for a, for a real long time. I remember... That the co-op fun behind Goldeneye was just absolutely amazing, and I'd I'd, I'd even go to my neighbor's house and we'd just sit there, and uh, it'd just be me and him, and we'd just lay proximity mines everywhere. Yeah. And it would be like <laughs> the hardest just to get across the map lay, to find him would be a challenge. Yeah, lay you know? proximity mines everywhere, and then run at each other. We're just slapping each other. Yeah, and have hands. them like under the stairs and stuff like yeah. that. Oh man, what a game! I mean, if, if it comes out, we're just gonna have to stream it or something like the three of us playing it, because it is just such a good game. And, you know, we've been talking about rumours about it now for what, the best part of two years. So I just, fingers crossed, we're, com- we're coming to, we're, there's light at the end of the tunnel. We know this uh, tweet as well. Have you guys noticed the uh, the Apple Watch? No. Now, if you look closely, because um, these tweets actually look like they were, uh, <laughs> the pictures Andy's posted on a night out with his friend. And if you scroll down about the third one in. Do you think he's just actually, drunk you, going like, hey, well, if, go yeah, on If you look, well, if you look very closely, his friend's wearing an Apple Watch that actually has got the same face on there that Bond had in um, in 007 in the game, in Goldeneye. Oh, I didn't know that. So there's another clue, and someone zoomed in on it, and it looks like it's the same uh, watch face. Oh, I can't see so, that. It's uh, telling me I have to sign up to Twitter to have a look. So <laughs> It's worth it, Joe. <laughs> but yeah, so it's, uh, it's looking more and more likely like it's going to happen. And again, I mean, we know we've talked about it before. It's the fact that, obviously, I think the big reason that it hasn't happened before is the licensing. That's obviously kind mm. of the, the tricky bit about this game, I imagine. But it just seems like it would be... Uh, a way to print money, providing it's a good game. And providing and the engine's done correctly as well. Yeah. Because that engine went on to the Time Splitters franchise and stuff. And like, you know, that engine was so good to play on that um, I, I hope they kind of keep the same feel and vibe. Like, I'd hate to see like a um, GTA uh, Vice City style um, Unity kind of remake, you know. I'm hoping that companies have learned from that. Because it's messing with people's memories, especially games of this legendary status, you know, when the games that kind of people grew up with and they've got such strong nostalgia for it, you've got to do a good job. If, if, if it's games like people this. like play Platonic and, well, he's, yeah. he's ex-Platonic, but, uh, you know, those those kind of people know what they're doing with uh, releasing these titles. Yeah, I have every faith in them, so uh, we'll keep an eye on that story apparently in the next coming weeks. So uh, as soon as we hear more, you will be the first to know. Now, you know, we're playing retro games, particularly when I get like on my Amiga or my Commodore 64. I know it's a little bit divisive because I look at, you know, Facebook groups and stuff. And a lot of people, uh, you know, they're playing their Amigas and the C64s with Mega Drive pads and that kind of thing, which I don't think you should actually play a Commodore 64 with a Mega Drive pad. Apparently that can be very bad for it. But a lot of people prefer to use joy pads, as we call them, instead of joysticks. I've got to say, if I'm playing certain games, you know, for example, I couldn't imagine playing something like Lotus Turbo Challenge 2 using a control pad. For me, that's got to be a joystick game. So there are definitely certain games and beat-em-ups as well where I feel a lot more at home with the stick. Platformers, you know, it's weird. Like, I know a lot of console people are, are used to game pads and stuff. And uh, I, I I always played my platformers with a joystick. And it's always that kind of, well, Amiga up to jump that I needed the uh, kind of joystick to do, you know. Yeah, and no, I find that, you know, the fact that you and I kind of 
grew up with a computer background and joysticks were the de facto standard on computers, really. And Joe, you're, you're like, you know, you're a console kid. I mean, do you find a, do you find that the other way around? Do you find it awkward to play with joysticks? Yeah, on classic games I, I, I was going to kind of, I was going to try and stay quiet, but now you've asked me, <laughs> um, you know, like you say, I'm a console guy. Um, and I think hundred percent is a time and a place for joysticks, you know, especially like in, you know, arcades where you're playing like Afterburner or, you know, Star Wars pod racing. Like, you know, I definitely feel like, you know, uh, and I'm thinking of the Star Wars game now with the lightsaber battle at the end. You like a big joystick. Yeah, I like yeah. the big, big joysticks like that. And obviously like proper arcade joysticks as well for fighters and stuff. Um, but when it comes to, if I was to be playing like an old, you know, old Mega Drive or SNES or something like that, playing a platformer or even a racing game, I just, I wouldn't be able to do it. Like, I just would not be able to do it. I mean, I think we've played Micro Machines, micro machines before on the Amiga with them and I just, I can't get on with them. I, I, I'm a controller guy. I'm a D-pad kind of guy. Well, not to get too innuendo but um, back then, <laughs> a, jo- a joystick was your kind of sense of pride. You know, you'd go around someone's house and you'd, <laughs> you'd whip out your, 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 your best joystick. And, uh, How does your mind work, Ravi? <laughs> no, no, but I, you know what I mean? You, you, you'd have an advantage if you had a good joystick and yeah. um, you'd be like, oh no, I'm, I'm going to play you with this one. And, you know, uh, <laughs> now I've gone down this road. I can't, I can't <laughs> dig myself out this hole. You take it back, over, Dad. No, but I know what you're saying, though, because when I was a kid, we always had... My mum, I don't know if your mum was the same, she'd always buy me, like, the crappest, cheapest joysticks. You know, if I broke one, she'd go to, like, the market and buy me. I think I generally always got Cheetah 125s. I, I had a Cheetah as well. Like, um, I had hand-me-down ones, so I had a Cheetah Star Probe, which was uh, quite a huge one, but... um. It, that I think that was a hand me down uh, that that I got, and I had even the old Atari one, you know, the uh, plastic classic one with the one button. I'm looking at the Star Probe now. Yeah, I do remember that. That had an interesting look to it. That's a big joystick. Yeah, I can see why you were proud. Yeah, it's very very clicky <laughs> as well. Yeah. Well, I had a, the Zip Stick is probably my all time favourite joystick. You know, for like Amiga games and C sixty four, that's generally the stick I use on there. I know a lot of people love the Competition Pros as well, which um, there have been some like you know, the arcade yeah, joysticks. The, that came the out one recently. with the ball on the top was that the uh, Competition yeah, Pro. Yeah, it's a bit yeah. more yeah arcade style joysticks, and there have been you know quite a few efforts recently. I mean, obviously Monster Joysticks, who sponsored this show recently, have uh, got some incredible arcade style joysticks, and we've got the arcade ones that kind of um, they take the Competition Pro style but put the arcade parts in there as well, so it feels a lot more premium. But the reason we're talking about joysticks is, um, and a couple of people have sent us this on uh, Twitter and Facebook over the last couple of weeks, this is a thing called the Unithor. Now, this is a new joystick that's coming soon for retro computers, and uh, this thing looks pretty impressive, and actually it takes a lot of the things that probably we all found a little bit annoying about desktop joysticks back in the day, and uh, improves upon them quite a lot. For example... Did you ever use the sticky cups on the bottom of a joystick? Uh, yeah, yeah, all the time, and I'd constantly be licking them, and then after a while, yeah. they'd taste really weird. <laughs> and you'd, you'd still kind of have to lick them and stick them on there because you would really, like, you know, push them left and right, and, uh, yeah, you don't want to snap your joystick. And, you know, whenever I buy a second-hand joystick and it's got those on the bottom, I just take a pair of pliers and I pull them off because I know that they've probably got, like, 30 years' worth of dried-up spit on there. <laughs> it's not something you want to get oh, your hand on. Oh, man. 
But this new joystick here, though, it does away with the uh, suction cups of old. And actually, it's got these kind of studs on the bottom that actually uh, make it a lot more solid, a lot more durable as well, and actually keep it positioned onto the desk. Oh, cool. So there are a lot of things like that as well, and they've got stuff like um, some really good ergonomics on there as well. Because you play with a lot of these older joysticks, and actually, they give you a bit of hand cramp after a yeah, while. Yeah, it looks like and- a, a PC flight stick of, like, the later uh, kind of PC, but in the stylings of, like, uh, older, more classic joysticks. Yeah, the position of the fire buttons, and it's got, you know, like a, a big <laughs> yoke on there or shaft, whatever you call it on the joystick. Uh, but yeah, I mean, this is really designed for classic arcade games, though. It's not like a, it's not an analog stick for flight sims or anything like that. Um, instead, it's designed, you know, to play your double dragons with and your golden axes and that kind of thing. And there are different colours on it. They've got um, LEDs are coming soon as well. There's a plutonium orange version, a radioactive uranium version of it as well. And it's actually got um, two uniquely operating fire buttons, which um, was always the thing that annoyed me back in the day when you had, um, you know, for example, the zip stick has got two buttons on there, but they actually both do the same thing. And you had auto fire on some, didn't you, as well? So you could have a little switch and just, you know, constantly hammer the fire button and just use that, yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure if this has got auto fire on it, actually, looking at it. Um, Yeah, but they were handy when you were playing, particularly shooting up games. Yeah. I always found having that on would be quite useful. So yeah, that could, I mean, if they haven't got that on there already, I, I don't think this is actually, uh, looks like they're going to be doing something, maybe like a Kickstarter or something at some point. Um, so, you know, that could be definitely something that maybe people will, uh, will ask it, for. It actually seems got to kind have of, um, uh, multiple options on it. So it's like A, B, C yeah. and D at the bottom. Uh, maybe you can select different configurations and then, uh, you know, pre-tell it to auto fire or something like that. Yeah, it looks like there's definitely some element of programmability on this, um, which is handy because, I mean, there were some games, like I remember if you plugged in a Mega Drive pad into the Amiga and you played um, Desert Strike, the uh, the C button on the Mega Drive would actually change the weapons, whereas before you'd have to hit the space bar on the Amiga keyboard to do that. Oh, okay. So there are, you know, quite a few games that were made for two-button joysticks if you had one, so it's definitely something that I think could be taken more and, advantage and of. And this also has the different inputs, right? So it's got the D-sub, but um, you yeah. can also get a USB version. Yeah, it looks like there's going to be a version of that later on, you know, for emulators and stuff. But I think, yeah, the original one's going to be Amiga C64 Atari Spectrum as well. You know, that kind of classic um, DB9 connector on there made for retro machines. So, uh, yeah, it looks like they're going to be doing this on Kickstarter by the looks of it. They haven't announced any more details yet, but it does look very cool. And I've I've liked that, you know, the fact that in recent years, there's kind of a bit of attention coming back onto joysticks again, because I think there are certain games where they just feel right. So um, Yeah, and I guess it's certain generations and certain users like like we kind of discussed earlier and yeah i think uh it's quite a nice thing actually to get a luxury one i'd love to get one and hook it up to my um modern gaming system and kind of see see how that works yes it's called the uh unijoy is the website if you want to check it out and uh the joystick's called the uh the uni thor and we'll keep an eye on that and let you know when the kickstarter launches now, we've got lots more news stories to get through. And, of course, our interview coming up, uh, going behind the world of video game voice acting with Lani Manella. She's coming up on the show in just a minute. Can we take a quick second, though, just to give a huge thank you to the people who make it possible for us to bring out this little show for you every single Friday and chat to legends of the industry. I mean, we've done this now for, uh, God, over six years we've been doing this podcast every week. And I don't know about you guys, it's always a highlight of the week when we sit down and record an episode of this. Still love it as much as the day I love started. it. You know, it doesn't feel like a, a, a 
chore or a task because you know we've got all these people behind us supporting us and that makes it absolutely fantastic and just meeting up with you guys you know i'd do this anyway in a pub the fact is it's, it's being recorded and it's being professionally done with like interviews and stuff and you know we're independent as well like i look at the podcast charts and there's a lot of people in there like you know ign and stuff like that and bbc there's a lot of big players in there that mm. have a lot of backing and it's just like literally you me and joe <laughs> you know yeah. uh, we're able to do this because of patron and and the support from our fans which is just absolutely amazing but you know for your support you do get some good stuff back don't you yeah so we do um an extra podcast every month just for our patrons called the retro hour after hours now the most recent episode we actually do a deep dive into the year 1993 next week i'm going to be dropping a bonus episode, because I've had loads of people ask me about this, of Ian Grieve now, I guess last week, who so many people want to hear more from him. And he actually did another hour interview with me and you, didn't he, Joe, that we're just going to put out to our patrons? He did. He was an absolute legend. And, you know, he understood the task. And he was like, oh, Patreon. He was like, yeah, let's make some money. Let's do it. He was like, <laughs> you know, it, it, was, it was so, like, real and down to earth, you know. And, I mean, you know, j- jokes aside, it was an absolutely amazing thing that he was like let's do another hour and you know let's let's you know do a little bit more of a deep dive a little bit more of the uh the stories that can't be on the main show if you know what i mean say too hot for tv too hot for tv absolutely um which we're going to be putting out next week which i think is going to be an absolutely fantastic episode Wait till you hear the story about him introducing Gary Oldman to Billy Connolly on a plane. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That is, that is worth downloading. Yeah, just to hear that. yeah. Some foul language in there as well, which just had me falling out of my seat. Um, but you know, Ravi's spot on. Like, you know, every week it feels like talking to my mates down at the pub, kind of thing, when we do this podcast. And it, it is amazing that we do get to do this, thanks to our fans. You know, and that we can keep doing this. You know, especially like I say, me and Dan have got COVID at the moment. If it wasn't for Patreon, we just there would have been no show this week. Do you know what I mean? Mm. But because we can do it from home because of Patreon. In our gym jams. In our gym jams, you know, in my hot cup of cocoa, we're still here doing it. Um, So, yeah, eternally grateful for it. Yeah, so um, if you'd like to join us on Patreon, of course, then not only do you get the uh, the uh, the bonus podcast each month as well, if you're a gold member or above, you get the usual podcast early most weeks, you get it ad-free. There's around, you know, about 50 minutes of extra content in most episodes recently for our patrons. And also you get invited to the monthly patrons hangouts that we are going to be doing another one of in the next couple of weeks as well, where we all just get together, a bit like, you know, a virtual users group. You get invited to that every month. And of course, you get the satisfaction of knowing that you're a big part of this show and it's thanks to you that we can continue to bring it out. Out each and every Friday. So you will get a mention in the most prestigious high score table in the world of retro gaming, the Retro Hour Hall of Fame. And a big thank you to our latest patrons. Thank you so much to Mark Brooks, Joe Pentoni, Chris McLeod, and James Bentley, who all backed us on Patreon. And if you'd like to do the same, you'll find it on our website at theretrohour.com. And this is a cool little video that um, you linked up, Joe. Uh, this is... For people that have got a uh, a jailbroken PlayStation 4, this is a video from a guy called uh, Mr. Mario 2011, where actually it's around a 15-minute video where he details how you can play Sega Saturn games on your jailbroken PS4. Now, I've got to admit, I haven't been brave enough to jailbreak my PS4, but watching this, I am quite tempted. I can't say I've jailbroken or modded any of my consoles or anything like that. I tend to, tend to leave that to you guys. And Ravi usually has a good grasp on these things. But 
how how does this work? Because obviously the Sega Saturn is usually like a mess to kind of like emulate and stuff like that. Well, this is a new emulator that's called um, Saturn FPKG. Mm-hmm. Now, this is actually from a guy who um, he made a PlayStation 2 emulator that you can run on the uh, the jailbroken PlayStation as well. Uh, but what it does, it's a pretty cool video. It kind of walks you through the process. What you need to do is um, you actually get your Sega Saturn CD. Okay. And you put that into your PC, you rip it as an image on your computer. Right. And then there's a program that actually turns it into um, a file called an FPKG file, which are the files that the PlayStation plays. Right. So what it means is, it's kind of like, you know, if you download a game off... Um, something like GOG, good old games, and it kind of bakes the emulator into the file. Yeah. So what you get is you get a file that you can put on a USB stick, shove that in your jailbroken PlayStation 4, and then it runs like a PlayStation 4 program. So it launches the emulator and the game, the game image that you've baked into this file. So they actually appear on your um, your PlayStation 4 dashboard when you turn it on. So there's a couple of examples that he's got running in here. Um, the main one he plays with is Clockwork Night which appears to run really well. Mm. And he says, you know, at the moment, it's obviously quite new. And uh, certain games run okay in there. He's got, you know, um, Daytona running as well. And there's a few kind of texture popping and stuff like that. So certain games do work better than others. At the moment, there's only really, a, would say, a handful of games that are actually working flawlessly on there. It's, it's hard um, to emulate the Saturn, you know. Yeah, uh, that's a thing, yeah. Yeah, with a lot of systems. Um, there's always a few errors and stuff when you're emulating the Saturn. It's it's it's, it's a tough system to do, and uh, I guess it's because of the processors and, and the, the kind of way that it was set up. Um, but looking at the, the the way that jailbreaking's done on the um, PS4 is, uh, I, I I don't know if you can do the PS5 yet. I'm sure someone will be able to at one point. But it seems to be all like kind of relevant to the firmware version that you've got and stuff like that. Yeah. But uh, a lot of it's just soft modding and just, uh, you know, using a USB stick. So you get that done and then you'd put this on. Yeah, so PlayStation 2 emulator they've got on there actually, you know, appears to run quite a lot of stuff. You know, I, I don't want to say flawlessly, but very, very good compatibility. And this is saying, obviously, like you said, it's a more complicated system. Um, and it's early as well. I mean, you know, this has only been around about a month by the looks of it. So um, it, it doesn't mean that there are only a few games that kind of work perfectly. A lot of them have got some small issues. Some of them, you know, have got like major issues that don't work at all. So it's early days, but I think the bit in this video that I love is just watching him kind of scrolling through his dashboard there on his PS4. And he's got stuff in there like Daytona USA and he's got Clockwork Night and, uh, you know, just having those Saturn games launchable just by clicking it and actually you go on there. And the, the stuff in there that you'd expect from an emulator, there's like a rewind function and you can do save states and stuff as well, which, you know, I think really adds a lot to the original games. I, I need to look into them, like this, me. you know, because there's a lot of PS4s around and I reckon it could be quite a good emulation powerhouse and something nice that you could just have you know, connected to your TV and stuff. Yeah, pretty cool that, uh, you know, people are doing this. And uh, I, I may have to investigate, <laughs> see what I can do on it. That's the thing about Sony. They generally, I mean, obviously, I imagine if you're, you know, putting out jailbreaks for the PS5, they're going to jump on your case pretty quickly and get that, you know, video taken down, I'd guess. But with the PlayStation 4, they generally tend to, when a new generation comes out, kind of leave the last generation behind pretty quickly. So even though the PS4 is like supported at the moment and stuff, there are a lot of guides I can see online about how to jailbreak it and none of them have been like, you know, hit with strikes or anything, whereas the PS5 ones do. So it kind of seems like, you know, the PlayStation 3, that is so easy to mod now. Yeah. You literally, you go to a website and you can mod it. So it's nothing they've kind of 
actively patched or anything since the exploits came out there when a new system's been released. So it kind of looks like, you know, maybe they're going to kind of let the PlayStation 4 kind of, you know, fall into the hands of the modders and crackers and stuff and uh, just leave them to get on with stuff like this, which would be cool. I've got to say that my PlayStation 4 is pretty much exclusively a VR machine. Not that I use it. <laughs> I was gonna, my PlayStation 4 is exclusively a Bloodborne machine. That is literally like the only game I play on. It. Does this make me too retro that I've never even played a PS3? Yeah, um, that's pretty retro. Yeah. That is pretty retro. Right? <laughs> that's pretty retro. <laughs> I've played a Switch. I've got my PS3 set up in here. And actually, that was one thing we were chatting about in last Patrons Hangout, wasn't it? You know, how easy that system is to crack now. So I'm a bit like you, Joe. I'm always a bit nervous about modding systems, particularly ones that I still kind of play. So I, th- I figure, you know, that is linked to my main PSN account. Yeah. And I, I just think, oh, so you're going to see it. They're going to, you know, bat it. it, lose it all my games. It's not even about that for me. It's about breaking it. Like, you yeah. know, just not trusting myself to be able to do it. You know, people are always like, oh, yeah, this is easy or that's dead easy. You know, even when it comes to like DIY, but I'm just, I'm a clumsy guy, you know. <laughs> I just, I would definitely do something wrong at some point. But like you say on our Patreon hangout, you know, we've got people coming on all the time like, oh, yeah, I just, just, you know, cracked my PlayStation. It was easy. Like, did it in two minutes. And I'm just like, you know, blown away by it. I'm just like, what? And then, like you say, Ravi's like, even like, what's a PS3? <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, if you are a bit of a clumsy gamer, um, this device, actually, that we're going to talk about next, uh, could be quite useful because uh, this is a little device. They're calling this Save the Hero which I think is um, quite a cool little title. And this is a device from Japan that if you've got kind of, you may, maybe neglected cartridges that you haven't really looked inside for a while and uh, they've got internal batteries in there that have run out of juice and you haven't replaced them or even worse, maybe they've leaked a bit and you've lost all your precious save data. This is a device that lets you back up all of those save games. But also the ROM. So if you have like a, a you know, a jailbroken device, you can legally play the ROMs on them. Um, because you can use this device to back it up. But the, the thing about this is, yeah, the save data as well, being able to get your old saves off some of these uh, titles are amazing. And, you know, it's it's pretty cool because it does like a lot of systems in one. You know, uh, what are all the systems here, Joe? Like, Yeah, it's got the NES, the SNES, the N64, the Mega Drive slash Genesis, um, and the entire Game Boy line. So, you know, Game Boy Color, original Game Boy and Game Boy Advance. So a lot of a lot of consoles on there yeah and and like they're saying it's going to be about 70 quid but you know Mm. the fact that you could get your whole collection and have it digitized with your saves and all of that and i could imagine you can then use these roms in like other systems or you know emulate them on on whatever you want as well because you kind of own the original cart but um just that save data is is just so vital you know it's, it's it's like a time machine. Have you guys ever found like an old memory card or mm. have you found one of your old saves and then it just takes you back to that time period where oh, you're yeah. stuck on that level? Oh, a million, million, million percent. And, it, and I, you know, funny you should say that I bought some PS2 memory cards a few years back and I went to wipe them and I found like all the old saves, you know, of like the, the family who owned it before. And it said, you know, like, it was like a Noddy game for PS2, you know, Noddy and his little yellow car. And it was like, Dad, save one, like Jamie saved two. <laughs> like, and I was like, oh, it's so sweet, delete. <laughs> like, <laughs> so this is this is pretty cool that like you can essentially rip it and save it. 
Yeah, and I've got um, one of my Mega CD32s I hooked up a while ago, and I think I found a few saves on there. I think there's one from, God, I want to say it was like Gloom or something. Oh, wow. And that must have been on there since about 95, 96. I'm quite impressed at the memory on the air, and the non-volatile RAM in there has lasted that long without being kind of erased. But um, <laughs> generally, I get, I get a bit depressed when I find old memory cards and I load them up again, so I'm like, I could never reach this part of the game anymore. But you know, you know if you're like a, a Game Boy user or something and um, you're really into Pokemon and, like, you know, you had different periods on all the different Pokemon games and stuff, this this can just be absolutely ideal for you. And then you want to play it on, like, a different system or, or you know, you want to transfer it and then have it on an analog pocket or something. You know, it's pretty cool. That's- so now there have been other solutions like this before, kind of backup devices. I mean, I'm looking through the comments here on um, this Nintendo Life article that I'll link up, and people are talking about, you know, the fact that there was one ones back in the late 90s where you'd use a, a serial or a parallel cable and hook it up to a Windows 98 machine and that kind of thing. But I think having something where not only can you connect various different console cartridges to it, but also the fact that it's, what, 70 quid you said this is going to be? Yeah. So it's affordable. And that's the thing, like, yeah, you could do it with a disc doctor and then have it on floppy disk and then, yeah. you know, but are you going to be able to get the saves off that? And, you know, just the fact that also it's like the Retron or something, it does so many, so many different devices. And, uh, yeah, I just like it, the the simplicity of it. Now, I don't know how expensive it's going to be if it's getting shit from Japan and uh, mm. stuff like that because it does I've just checked out the Kickstarter and it does seem to be mostly in Japanese well it has been backed by the looks of it as well so I mean it's definitely going ahead 209 people have backed this and it just finished um, last week at the time recording this so uh, yeah definitely I mean again if it's something that actually takes off a lot of these kind of things end up getting you know distributors around the world because it doesn't look like you know it's not a massive system it's not like they're going to have to ship it in like a you know, a huge like wooden box or anything yeah. so and imagine if you've just got some like mad collection or some just random PCBs that you don't even know what they are and you plug them in and you go, oh, okay, it's that game. Or, you know, oh, it's the developer build of this. You know, it's a really interesting. Yeah, I think even just for that, yeah, backing and dumping cartridges, you know, it's worth having that in your collection just to be able to do that side of it, let alone, you know, the uh, the, the, the save game functionality of it as well. So, um, yeah, it looks really good. I think definitely something that we're all going to want in our uh, retro gaming collection. So uh, if you want to get a hold of that, um, the Kickstarter's finished now. I imagine the backers will be getting it, and we'll keep an eye on uh, anything else we hear from it. We'll link up that and all the stories we talk about in our show notes at theretrohour.com. Now, we're talking about this last week. Um, let's take a second just to give a quick moment to uh, talk about our latest sponsor of the Retro Hour podcast. And uh, this is a new company have come on board with a new service. And when we first heard about this, we said, you know, we want to work with you guys because this is something that we really believe in. Now, obviously, you and I, Joe, at the moment are uh, physically not very well, you know, having come down with COVID. But obviously, mental health is something that I think has taken, you know, globally a battering over the last couple of years in particular, with everything, you know, the entire planet's been through. And our sponsor this week is our friends at BetterHelp Online Therapy. And we were talking last week about, you know, some of the the stigmas around mental health. And actually, I know that's something that you do in your job, actually, Joe. Yeah, not not to go too far into it with, with my work and stuff, but I am actually the mental health advocate at work. And, you know, that's yeah. not something that I you know, nominated myself for or anything like that. It was just something that I, I got put forward to do. And I, you know, I think that might be because I'm such a strong believer in that we should talk about our mental health, you know, and we shouldn't just bottle it up and, you know, kind of put it to your back of the mind because of, 
it does make you unhealthy. And going back to what I said last week, I'm a massive, massive believer in, you know, sometimes it, you don't have to put a label or put a name onto mental health. As I say, me and Dan are feeling physically under the weather right now, but I actually believe that you can be mentally under the weather, you know, yeah. and, and sometimes it isn't necessarily because there's something wrong with you or anything. It's just, you're not having a good day or a good week or even a good month or year. And a hundred percent, we should reach out and talk to people about these things because of it just doesn't go away sometimes and you shouldn't be afraid to just reach out. And I think better help is a really good way of doing that because of some people are, you know, it's all well and good me sitting here and saying you need to reach, reach out and stuff like that. But some people, you know, are worried about reaching out or, you know, don't want to talk to somebody face to face. So I think this is a really, really good tool, you know, for people to use because of you can do it over the phone you can do it over video chat, but you don't have to go on video if you don't want to. You can do it over text. Um, and also, it doesn't have to be a tool to help if you already are feeling unwell. It could be a tool to kind of stop yourself from, you know, spiraling or getting, you know, getting worse, if you will. Um, mm. It's something that is there to help with. Therapy doesn't have to necessarily be something to, to, to help fix you. It can be something to help just get you through if that makes sense yeah because i think that's the thing you know that when we were talking to them they mentioned to us you know all humans have got emotions and sometimes you can't avoid them we just have to learn how to control them and live with them as well so uh you know we think it's really important that we take care of our mental health as well as our physical health which is why our good friends at better help who are customized online therapy that is a lot more affordable than in-person therapy as well that's one really important point because a lot of people think you know therapy is for rich people which it isn't and actually you'll get matched with a therapist in under 48 hours so we want you to give it a try and see why over 2 million people have used BetterHelp online therapy. And of course, we've got you an offer, like we always do. <laughs> so Retro Hour listeners at the moment can get 10% off the price of their first month. Now, all you have to do, and of course, you'll be helping out the podcast by taking advantage of these offers, is head to the website betterhelp.com slash retro. That's our exclusive link. Use that so they know that we've sent you betterhelp.com slash retro. And a big thank you to our friends at BetterHelp for their support of our show. Right then, while uh, Joe and I go and get back under our duvets, <laughs> we are going to now just kick back and enjoy listening to Ravi do this week's interview, uh, talking about the voices behind some of our favourite video games of all time with our special guest this week. Lani Manella is coming up next on the Retro Hour podcast. You're listening to the Retro Hour podcast and I'm here with voice artist Lani Manella. How are you doing? Great, how are you? <laughs> Fantastic. Um, we always ask a question of our guests first and this is kind of like, what was your first video game experience or the first kind of video game you saw or heard? <laughs> you don't know Jack. <laughs> <laughs> was that the game? <laughs> yeah, it was kind of like a, a question uh, an answer game that you could play and it was like watching a contestants play things and it would ask trivia questions and you would answer them and that was the first one I saw and at that time I had a boyfriend that was playing that and then in the background he would also show me World of Warcraft or something but uh, you don't know Jack Pong uh, we're talking arcade stuff though Miss um, Pac-Man those were all the very 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 first ones and then I think the first one I actually tried to play was I believe it was StarCraft. Oh, wow. And because I was, I was the Zerg queen and the medevac pilot, 
And I, I'm a terrible gamer, right? I never grew up with someone teaching me the, the platforms and how to do this and how to do that. Um, I'm really old. I'm ancient. I learned on stone tablets. And so, you know, when I um, try to figure something out, I remember being at the Electronic Entertainment Expo. And in order to get a T-shirt at the Sony place, you had to play nine games using the PlayStation. <laughs> but you didn't know what the button assignment was. And I was just trying to make Crash Bandicoot go up these stairs. I can make him jump up and down. I can make him go forward, but I can't make him jump and go forward. So I just got really frustrated. So I think that um, with StarCraft, I got rid of all, I had all the cheat codes <laughs> and I had demolished everything on the planet. And it said in order for the Zerg queen to pupate, you had to deposit her cocoon in the enemy headquarters. And I didn't even know about saving oh, in wow. a game. <laughs> so and you I've had been to playing do it in for one hours. Go. Oh, my God. I, I just I've been playing for nine hours straight and I got into the third level, played through everything possible. And I just took the CD out and threw it against the wall. I said, that's it. So, you know, the next attempt was probably Nancy Drew thinking that, oh, it's meant for eight to 15 year old girls. I can do this. Right. Ah, well, after 40 hours and it ended and it was just a simple, okay, you're done. I thought I have hit myself on the head with a hammer because it feels good when I stop. You know, I mean, yeah. this is like, there is so much um, built in um, time wasting and time spending, I should say, you know, and it can be fun. But it's just that uh, the reason I'm not so much of a gamer is because I have so little time. Um, that I don't have time to relax and, and enjoy games as much as I would like. Well, w when did you first realize you had like a talent for, for doing voices and impressions of people? Well, probably when I was very little and I had no friends and I was an only child. And so I would probably imitate things on TV uh, that I would see. Like I would be watching Bugs Bunny or something, you know, and, and I wouldn't be laughing. I would just be intricately imitating things. When I got into school, especially high school, I got in more trouble for that because I'd be imitating the teachers and, <laughs> you know, uh, I, would, I just had too much uh, energy and too much uh, boredom. You know what I mean? It was, I think I was kind of a smart person. And so when things go slowly, I, I try to amuse people by telling jokes. We'd have in the UK a whole kind of group of kids that would constantly, and adults that would constantly quote Monty Python, and they would know every single like word, and they'd also know every accent, and they'd do the whole scene like in one go. You know what's so funny? I've always said that no two British people think the other guy's accent is worth a shite, right? <laughs> yeah. And um, so even if you say RP and you know receive pronunciation. I could tell you that story about the British Water Authority, but the point being is that when I try, and I have a whole worldwide talent pool, okay, and when we do Neverwinter Dungeons and Dragons, oftentimes they say the elves would be British. Hmm. Um, we, we, we tried to get the dwarves Scottish, and we did a good job, but then Wizards of the Coast decided that, oh no, Scotland wasn't invented yet. So we had to take away all the Scottish accents of the dwarves. And anyway, so for the for the British things, if I have people that are always coming on to me saying, hey, hire me, I'm a voice person, I want to be added to your roster. Well, I will ask them what accents they do. And if they say they do a British accent, I'll say, can you give me an example? And they all go into Monty Python. I'm <laughs> <laughs> like, okay, take the pink hanky out of your sleeve. And uh, no, that's not what we can do. Uh, so it's pretty funny. 
Well, you ended up like working on radio and stuff. What what was that like? Because uh, we we had a history of like, as you said, Monty Python and stuff, and Kenny Everett, and uh, all, all these kind of voices and impressions on radio. Yes, that radio. When you do morning drive radio, which I was stuck in, you get up at three o'clock in the morning and have to be, we had to actually work in Tijuana, Mexico for the biggest station that, that reached all the way from Rosarita beach to Santa Barbara, which is quite a, a distance. And anyway, um, when we worked down there and the morning drive, you have to be spontaneous, uh, and whoever's in the news. So I was kind of the go-to person to imitate, uh, things. I remember before I even got a job, they would call me up at five in the morning cause they didn't have a shtick or maybe six o'clock and say, okay, uh, today is the first day that the lottery is starting. So be Dr. Ruth Westheimer, who's that sex psychologist or whatever, and I'm gonna be back in two minutes and make up a shtick, uh, how to choose lottery numbers based on sexual organs or something. And so I would have to say, well, anybody who is as short and ugly and looks like me can have sex, well, anybody can. (laughs) You know, so it was a very spontaneous, never planned kind of a thing where uh, we always had to be doing voices, impersonation. Oh, Joan Rivers, can we talk? I've had so many facelifts that my boobs are on my shoulder pads, you know. So I was Joan Rivers and Catherine Hepburn and um, all kinds of weird things. And that's how that kind of got started. And that's what led to certain people like GT Interactive um, hearing me do these imitations and asking me if I could imitate Fern Gully, the movie people, which I had never heard of, because they were pitching the laser disc to Philips and Magnavox. I go back that far, actually farther, but that's a long way back. Yeah, because a laser disc was really big, but um, in the in the UK, it was kind of like a really expensive, um, mm-hmm. you know, oddity. But um, what was that like then? Because Magnavox had a big kind of legacy with televisions and uh, even video game consoles and, well, and Panasonic see, um, as well. Yes. Well, GT Interactive was also into making interactive television. And I was part of that. I was a vampire that uh, the guy had me reading off a teleprompter. I never even saw the script before. I was all dressed up like the vampire with actual fangs that were made for me. And you'd be asking trivia questions and I'd be pulling some imaginary lever and uh, be a multiple choice. And people would have remote controls that they could choose and play, you wow. know, live. Was that over cable that no? I guess so. And I didn't end up going anywhere, but they had a select audience. You know, they they were meant to have it go. And maybe it was nationwide. I don't know. But at that time, uh, when I was there, they also, that was up in Los Angeles. And I remember that, well, they had a Carlsbad office, which is in San Diego. And that was what was doing this dragon arcade game. That uh, was that Dragon's Lair? And Dragon's Lair. Yeah, you're right. Exactly. So I worked on that. And then they said, you know, you're really good. Why don't you go downstairs? We're working on some kids CD-ROMs. I didn't even know what a CD-ROM was. I swear. I'm like that clueless. So those kids games were like one of them was called Night and Day. And it was sort of like how kids imagination turns things like faucets, which looks like a faucet during the day, but then you have a nighttime screen and they could imagine it being a scary dragon. You know what I mean? And yeah. so you would click on things and it would make noises. And believe it or not, I would have to be uh, 
let's say Lost and Found was a click game, kind of like Where's Waldo. But I would have to write these rhyming clues, like um, I am a chair and I'm painted red. You better find me before you're dead. You know what I mean? Whatever. I have to be all these voices of different things that people would have to search out. And then I said, hey, um, who else does these CD-ROMs? I don't know. <laughs> well, having been a producer and worked in radio, I said, well, who would know? I don't know. Why don't you go to the Consumer Electronics Show in Vegas? <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I went to the CES and handed out my cassettes and what have you and did that for a couple of years. And it really wasn't that productive And because um, I don't bug people. And then I went to Game Developers Conference for a couple of years, and I spoke at one of them. And I went to 13 E3s. You know, I don't remember which E3 it was, but there was some girl behind me. And you'd wait for the guy to finish demoing their game. Because most of the people that would hire me are not at these trade shows. These are the demonstrator people. These are the marketing guys, right? And the producers are generally not there. And so I remember some girl behind me going, I can do voices too. And the producer just, the, the demo guy gave her a blank look. And it made me think, hmm, you know, I should make a one-stop shop where I can bring all the worldwide talent together and make it easy. And I'll do all the paperwork and all the payment and do all the tax stuff. And I can direct and we'll make it easy. I can even write some of the scripts and stuff. And that's how Audio Gods got started. It was just, I guess I got known as if it's impossible and you have no budget. Give it to Lonnie. I guess. I guess it was uh, an emerging area because, like, like you said, with um, Dragon's Lair, that was that was really ahead of its time. So they had this. Um, it was notorious because the arcade would always break because it was, <laughs> oh, it, it no. was a giant laser disc, and you know you'd have it in the right. arcade, and uh, it was it was the one that was always broken, but everybody wanted to use it. So, oh my gosh! It must have been kind of hard to to just even convince people that it was worth getting someone on to to do voice back then? Well, I think that when it became the game, I remember auditioning for it and um, they had a big thick script and it was, you went to this guy's little house, it was a converted house. And I walk in the room and uh, the casting guy says, oh, she's really talented. And they, I said, well, what parts do you want me to read for? And they go, well, you can read for whatever you want. And I opened it up and there was like... um a wood elf. I said, can I do a wood elf? Oh no, that's a guy's part. Well, I could be a guy if you wanted me to. <laughs> and they, what? <laughs> and so then they said, why don't you try the princess part? Oh, anybody can be a princess. Da, da, da. <clears throat> so they said, um, all right, try this other one. I did. And they just threw the whole script on the ground. And I thought, uh oh, I've ticked somebody off. What did I do wrong? Christ, you could probably do this whole thing yourself. <laughs> And they acted like they were mad at me, you know? So they were going to have Mark Harmon be yeah. the part of the prince. And they were going to go union at the last minute. Mark, you know, backed out of it. But, yeah, weird things happen in this business. So you'd set your company up. And then um, kind of that 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 was during around 1992. So that was the period yeah. when when CD-ROM actually just just started getting into people's hands mm-hmm. and uh, the pc scene was starting to get really big did you um you, you kind of got involved with a uh, duke nukem and uh, <laughs> yeah and you became the voice director on that game but how did that right. happen 
Well, I don't remember how I, I did meet George Broussard. He was the president who owned Apogee 3D Realms. And I think he reached out and said, I'm looking for a male part for this game we're working on. And he wanted it to sound like some sound clip that he sent me from Full Metal Jacket. And oh, I said, that's oh. a great film. Is, yeah. I said, well, you know, that's easy. I, I know just the guy. Took it to John St. John and he did it. And they said, fine. And Duke became quite a sensation for the, well, they kind of ripped off Bruce Campbell's script from yeah. Living Dead, you know, but um, people started downloading the prompts, like, come get some, yeah. because they thought it was kind of sexually oriented, you know? So I remember people were using that for their computer prompts well, he, back he, in the day. He was like the ultimate dude, Duke was, and uh, having that voice was an element mm -hmm. that wasn't in there before that really added to it. And what's really funny is that John St. John can do amazing voices. Every every character of The Simpsons and uh, Roger Rabbit and all kinds. Of, he, he was Alan Rickman's voice in Die Hard Trilogy. Wow. So um, I remember we had more fun because I would play some female parts in Duke Nukem. And um, John and I are pretty spontaneous improving. And uh, <laughs> I remember we were improving an orgasm scene <clears throat> because he improved the the line, I'm going to rip your head off and shh down your yeah. neck, you know. <laughs> and so they actually animated to it. And so I remember, you know, he was going, oh, baby, oh, oh, Duke, oh, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, baby, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> well, well, kind of talking of that, that was, that was a bit where, like, video games kind of started to turn adult and, um, you know, like, they, they were appealing for the older, older group, but as well, mm -hmm. as, as well as kind of younger teenagers. Um, you did stuff right. like Shadow Warrior as well, and um, a, a few of those first person shooter games as well. God, that's one I don't remember. I mean, there was a lot of, of weird games that, that we did. Um, Forsaken was one that Acclaim did, yeah. and they actually had me do a swearing patch. <laughs> a, I had to be the most vulgar, but I had to be gender neutral so that my sexual uh, offensive remarks could apply to either gender. Okay. And in the characters that were in there, like a Chinese lady and everything, doing a sexual insult patch. Wow, it really was the 90s, wasn't it? Kind of back then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I won't say it because you, you said that we should keep it clean. But um, yeah, I had to make up those things on the fly. And I could not imagine how they would market that. But, you know, that's what we do. Typically, not too many people know how us voice actors... They, and they, general, they were definitely aiming for edgy stuff back then, weren't they? Uh, to well, try and push the games you, and sell them, yeah. One thing that most people don't realize is that if you're going to credit a voice actor or an actor, I don't care if it's an on-screen actor for television or movies, credit the script or discredit the script first, because that is where it all starts. And it can be a pile of poo and you yeah. can gold plate it, but it's still going to sound like a pile of crap, you know? And so I think that the scripts that we saw in games, for example, when we did Unreal, the Unreal Tournaments, that was back when you had so little memory, mm. you know, um, that they couldn't have as many taunts. So, you know, I gave them like 50 taunts, but they would have stuff like, is that your liver over there? I'm <laughs> like, that's lame. How about, you know, your face, your ass, what's the difference or something like that? And the point was that the memory also, I remember doing StarCraft, the first one, 
Yeah. I was in the office. We weren't even in a studio. The uh, Glenn Stafford was the music guy whose wife happened to be an airline stewardess. And so we were thinking of, um, you know, when you click on a character, you get the annoyance factor mm. reactions. That's where you can put some comedy in. And I've always thought that games should have more wit and humor in them. Um, but he would say, caution when exiting your luggage may shift. And I would say, if you're going to hurl chunks, use a vomit bag in front of you. Or in the event of a water landing, you too can be used as a flotation device. You know, um, so those are the things that people talk about. And that's what started becoming missing later. You know what I mean? They started taking away the, like I know when you're playing StarCraft, you could get into some science, you could click on some science ship. And you would hear me as Adria the Witch from Diablo saying, I sense a soul in search of answers. And people would talk about that. Yeah. You know, because it was an unexpected surprise and, and a pleasant surprise rather than just having, I've got a bad feeling about this. I mean, how many times have we heard that in games? And, and you, you did Diablo 1 and 2 as well as uh, right. StarCraft, which are both like amazing titles, you know, really pioneering in a, the, the well, strategy I think world. Of Warcraft, I think World of Warcraft was the first claim to fame uh, where I was at GDC and people said, oh, my producer wants to meet you because you're the witch and the peg leg boy and, you know, whatever. Um, but I was the Banshee and the Succubus and the Harpy and Myrla um, Stormclaw and Zayla of the Dragon Maw and all these other characters in um, many different World of Warcraft. And also one of the most annoying but iconic voices of Cindra Ghost of the Dragon, which uh, they also brought her back in Hearthstone, the card game. And she was just screaming all the time. And... Um, <laughs> So, and that's the same. I think you would wanted to ask me about Bubsy. And, yeah, um, yeah, Bubsy. Um, we, oh. we've, we've got a bit of a joke on the podcast where um, our, our, one of our hosts, his wife really loves Bubsy. And we're always oh my taking the mick out of Bubsy and saying, oh. this isn't the best game, you know, <laughs> uh, Bubsy well, 3D. Okay, I'll give you the, the, as quick as I can, what happened there. I love it when I'm brought up to do something and I don't know what I'm going to do. Like yeah. when I did all these monster voices for It Chapter 2, the movie, someone recommended me. When I did the the infected and the clicker and the bloater for Last of Us, someone recommended me. I didn't know. When I'm doing Skyrim, and they just <laughs> – they said, okay, you're a dark elf, so be British and have a deep voice and be a bitch. And I – you know, they would show me the line, flash it on a screen – I didn't know anything about the game. I knew nothing about the context. I thought she was going to be a companion. It turned out they gave that voice to all the Dunmere females. So I was Janessa and this and that and whatever later. I could have done different voices, but they that's what happened. You know what I mean? So I don't know. Weird, weird things happen. But Bubsy, 3DO, was the company, and they paid for my flight i always go up and back the same day wherever i'm going whether it's to go to nintendo in washington and work on smash brothers as lucas or you know whatever i'm always up and back the same day and so with bubsy i'm in the studio i've got these headphones on and they say okay we like this voice and we want you to imitate it oh my god it hurt my ears to hear it, I mean, like hey, Bubsy, okay, we're Bubsy and Trini. Oh my God! I mean, are you sure you want something as annoying as that? You know, and they went, yeah, and uh, I just couldn't believe it. I'm shaking my head the whole time, and you know, I'm my ears are bleeding practically after doing this thing for so long. But um, 
you know, of all my 14 page resume, when somebody picks Bubsy out, I'm going, really? Really? <laughs> yeah. You had to pick that one? Okay. Don't ask me about Bubsy. <laughs> well, see, the thing is that we don't know anything about most all of the games that we do. Um, I don't care what game it is. We don't know any backstory. We don't we don't necessarily have to. Um, and some of us have never seen the script before we get it and have to perform. Um, and, you know, I remember uh, there was going to be a game out by Blizzard and it never came out. And um, it was Alex Strasser was a dragon uh, and she was supposed to be the queen of all dragons and very big. And we were recording at a studio that Sierra and Blizzard owned, but they were using it for Fisher-Price games like Math Blaster and Fisher-Price ABCs and all that. So the engineer was a guy used to working on kitty stuff. Mm. And, oh, now he had the big guys with the ACDC black T-shirts, you know. And <laughs> so we had met outside in the lobby area discussing what kind of a voice we could give this queen of all dragons. And... First, we were thinking Alex Trasa is Russian, so maybe we can make her Russian. Or, you know, maybe we can make her all these ideas that were very tough. Maybe we can make her monstrous. Okay. We get in there, and the guy is talking with them, and they wouldn't let me talk. I couldn't hear what they're saying. And finally, he gets on the mic, and he goes, Lonnie, we decided that she is so powerful that you don't have to sound powerful. Just be yourself. What? Okay, um, so my first line was looking down at an orc. I didn't know what an orc was. And they're saying, he's like an ant compared to you in size. And orcs are usually pretty big, yeah. you know, things. And so my first line was, how could you possibly be of use to me? And the guy kept saying, can you pull it back? Okay, how could you? And he kept saying, can you pull it back? Pretty soon I'm talking out of my butt. You know what I mean? I yeah. pulled back so much that I had no power, no nothing. And uh, it was just it was just amazing. A lot of these things happen because of people's ideas. And then we actors get blamed for them. Like Bubsy! <laughs> well, I, I was wondering as well, like you did um, uh, Steven Spielberg's uh, director's mm -hmm. chair, which was really pioneering. I think it had Penn and Teller in it as well. Um, uh, oh, I didn't know that. But yeah. I, I know that um, I don't think that... That, that there was much writing there. I mean, it came across, it was good. We did Clive Barker's Undying too, which was um, very interesting. But Spielberg came out before its time. So correct me if I'm wrong, most people didn't have adequate computers to play it. Yeah, it was really early and it was like one of the kind of interactive FMV kind of titles, mm -hmm. yeah. Well, also people were complaining. I remember the major complaint about it was that the guns that you would use to shoot things had very poor sights. So they were old guns. And so if you aimed correctly, you'd be off. Okay. <laughs> and people were really mad about that because they couldn't kill what they were supposed to kill. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, one of my f favorite titles was um, Die Hard Trilogy as well. And you, you you'd mm -hmm. mentioned that earlier. What, what was it like kind of having film references and be able to... Oh, we didn't. They made me, I had to buy it myself. I had to buy oh, all wow. of them and tape it on, on a, a VHS and then transfer some of the, the stuff myself onto a cassette and play it for the people for reference. No, they didn't supply us with anything. It was um, Fox Probe did it in England. And there was another guy, I won't mention his name, but uh, he was working 
in America for Fox, and uh, they had to approve it, right? So we sent them some sound samples of what we had, but he wouldn't even give me his phone number. And then also, Probe was a little bit naive in that day, and I'm not good with paperwork. I'm terrible. You know, I'll do the work first. I'm really terrible with money. Um, but they had a contract that said, we own the rights throughout the galaxy, <laughs> which <laughs> negates it, it, it negates it legally right then and there. I didn't know anything about that, but they were happy with everything and uh we got uh actually a sound designer jamie scott was bruce willis yeah so i kind of trained him how to how to be bruce he did a damn good job the voices were really like accurate in in that Mm -hmm. you know even though it was all all impersonations of people and i remember being this is the first time where i learned about emotes exertions and things like that because we were supposed to. Now, this is more action specific. In the old days, we would have to show different being attacked and being hurt by different things. Throat slash, jumping in hot lava, hit on the head. Nowadays, it's just light, medium and heavy. OK, yeah. it's not fun anymore. But back in those days, we had to differentiate. And I, I swear this is absolutely correct between being hit by a bullet, a grenade or a rocket launcher. And I said, Really? We have to make a sound being hit by a grenade? (laughs) (laughs) But that's how big it had to be. Everything was way over the top. That's kind of... That's like, you know, the the movies that make a gun sound like a cannon. That's that's all started. And there was a big competition between sound designers for movies and games. One was always trying to outdo and be bigger than the other. And this is where it all started in games. I guess kind of trying to put that level of emotion and expression and, you know, back then you had smaller kind of samples and stuff um you must have really had to you know go for it when you you're getting hit by something or really really you know uh kind of go out there would you like me to illustrate yeah um did you you did a real tournament did you do one of the kind of getting shot I did lots on of, there. I did lots of juggernauts. <laughs> I did the the, the the opening announcer and they wanted it like a soccer mom and a sexy British lady and a blah 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 blah, you know. It was it was insane, but yeah, a lot of the tough stuff like you know, when you're hitting it's usually like <laughs> you're getting hurt is there you go. That takes, that me, takes me back to those days. Yeah, I, one thing I loved about um, Unreal Tournament as well was was the kind of uh, the different kills, you know, headshots and then like multi-kill. Oh, yeah. And uh, that really got, added fun you, to the game, you know. I, I got to tell you, there was this guy that was doing the announcer voice and it was going to be pitched down and everything from his normal voice. And they wanted it very flat. Everything would be like, now, now, uh, red team wins the match. So you couldn't show any favoritism. It was like, red, yellow team wins the match, da 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 And this guy used to be a radio puker. You know, he was kind of like John St. John had his yeah. radio days. Like, this is John St. John. Well, this guy also wanted to put red team wins them because he used to be the announcer for the Cincinnati Bengals or something. You know what I mean? <laughs> so I had to keep him and John flat, you know, say, as you're talking, make your hand go across in a horizontal line so you can't go, you know, that kind of thing. So that's where we would do the death match, you know, and that all that kind of stuff had to be very neutral because this guy and John both, John would turn Duke instead of being kind of like a Clint Eastwood, like, come get some, come get some. Yeah. <laughs> so so of, that's where uh, American you can, sports announcer style. 
Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's very hard. Once once a radio puker, always a radio puker. It's hard to get them not to because in the old days, you know, not everybody had a deep voice. Mm. So they learned to go to the Columbia School of Broadcasting to talk like that. You know, and that's what we call the radio puker. And so when you have people over enunciating and making everything sound like Sunday, 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 you know, that kind of thing, it's, it makes it harder to make them a believable character. And this has gone so far in the opposite direction now. Games are asking for total realism, hmm. nothing over the top. And this may work if you had some overly animated cinematics that are interesting to watch. But when you're doing a top-down thing, which most games are, and there's no cutscene, or maybe you're a talking head with chewing gum lip flap that's telling you, it's up to you to bring the three gems to the blacksmith in Arendelle, you know what I mean? Um, these, I think you should always have a little more interest, but now we've gone full circle so now people just want you to kind of be kind of deadpan. Yeah, I kind of enjoyed that campness and that kind of, you know, just mm-hmm. total out there fun that they had back then. I, I, I was wondering, how did you go about kind of creating alien voices or, or you know, <laughs> like a language, uh, something that doesn't exist, you know? Yeah, I'm pretty good at that. I don't know. I mean, my method might be thinking of a word like, uh, oh, first you have to figure what kind of creature is it? Because I've done several things, whether they be um, clicky type of things or garbly type of things or um, whatever. So first you've got to know, like I was the Tuscar, which is like a walrusy looking things in World of Warcraft, right? And they had their own language. But <laughs> whoever wrote it on the script wrote nothing but consonants. <laughs> like C N R R G D D W. Am I uh, wow? So um, is, am I supposed to be saying something? So shouldn't I have the same amount of words in whatever I'm making up? Like if you're saying like get away from me, you know whatever. Should I do you know whatever? You just kind of make up this this garbage. Just I guess they would like in Game of Thrones. They actually had a language, and Klingons have their own language. But it kind of has to be set to what kind of creature that it is. And uh, when I'm let loose, I can do pretty well. But the only problem is if they have other creatures, which generally doesn't happen. If you have a whole race of creatures, it's typically you only have one that's doing their own alien language. Otherwise, everyone would have to speak the same alien language. Um, you also mentioned that you did some stuff with uh, Cygnosis and uh, you, you, you came over to England and also the Waterboard Authority, which sounds really interesting. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So SCI, Sales Curve Interactive, I think. Um, one of the few companies that was owned by a woman, Jane, I forgot her last name, wonderful lady. Uh, they flew me over to record the American part because they had the British comedian doing the other male main player part and um i remember you know i I landed in london and then went to southampton and uh we went to new forest have you ever been to new forest no but i I hear it's lovely i need one place i need to visit (laughs) (laughs) well picture this um southampton is kind of a small thing you can look out over the the sea and see the isle of man way 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 you know way in the distance but new forest was a two rut road you know what i mean dirt with the grass growing in the middle and (laughs) we would be driving and there was a scottish guy and an an english guy and they all hated each other's accent you know it's just a load of fun um but we would be driving by a bus stop and a donkey would be actually sitting 
in on the bench, you know? <laughs> and then there was some famous restaurant. I think we ate at it later, um, owned by a British prince, and he had all these um, large old cars, like Duesenbergs, and you know these these fancy cars parked out in front. And then we went on this two lane. You couldn't pass anybody because it was just this. Yeah, thing yeah. Would, you have to stop and wait for them to drive. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. But, there was, but there was trees and bushes on each side, so I don't know how anybody would have you know passed anybody. But we finally get to this guy's house, and he had an, a lovely studio. And um, I'm recording there, and um, somebody right next door had a business of winding the tape on cassettes to make blank cassettes. That was his business. And so he comes over and he says, um, uh, excuse me, uh, do you do a British accent by any chance? You know, I said, uh, sure. And he said, oh, good. Well, here's the script. I need this for the British Water Authority, and they're going to be broadcasting this on loudspeakers on top of trucks and, and uh, taxis and cabs and whatever um, around town, uh, all over England. And so it's something like, I don't remember the message. It was back in, that was in 95. And it was something like, um, may we have your attention, please? This is the British Water Authority, and we need to conserve water between the hours of blah, blah, and blah, blah. Thank you very much. This is being the British Water Authority, you know, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> so <laughs> I was actually the voice of the British Water Authority. I, I think that was probably, we, we had a thing called the hosepipe ban, which was um, <laughs> where, where, you know, pe- too many people were using hosepipes to, like, wash their car. Ah. so maybe it was when they were limiting um, the amount of water but but they did some kind of mad announcement scheme yeah we've had that over here where we have um you know rationing or some we're supposed to not run sprinklers at certain days of the week because california is notorious for drought yeah yeah and um so we've had that but we never had it announced on loudspeakers (laughs) it would just it would just show it on the news report or something like that but um it's, I've had to, I was in the, an animated movie called The Queen's Corgi, and I was uh, actually trying out for Queen Elizabeth. And, oh, I, wow. and I was doing a great job, but I said, do you want her young or do you want her, oh, oh we want her, oh, we want her over the top. Really? Well, because Queen Elizabeth is not over the top. You know, <laughs> yeah. So, but they wanted that. I didn't get it, but the three other British people that were actually, you know, UK, um, thought I did a marvelous job. I ended up being a, a Scottish stable boy. There's some of this on YouTube, you know. Oh, really? How did you show up? You know, it was just weird, you know. But I, it was a fun. It was a fun thing. But believe it or not, that movie had Donald Trump in it. Oh my gosh, it's it's, it's a fun movie. It's kind of like a a dog, a talking dog. I, I think I've seen thing. it on Netflix. Like, like just it. pop up. Um, you know, uh, it's yeah. C- CGI, isn't it? Well, yeah. Yeah. If you look up. Um, Lonnie Manella, Queen's Corgi, you'll see my little Scottish part in there. But it was fun. And um, so I just I just enjoy the sense of humor, um, the British sense of humor, too. And being in England, I remember it was about March or May and the sun never set. It was like <laughs> it always looked like it was two o'clock in the afternoon. And um, the thing I remember, too, is that soft drinks. I'm used to drinking Diet Coke out of an aluminum can. And there they would limit you to one square of ice in a glass. I'm thinking, <laughs> I don't want my Coke in a glass. You know? But that was a, it was it was a lot of fun. I really appreciate that. And then, oh, you want to know about Cygnosis? Yeah. Well, see, that was the thing. Um, I was working six days in Southampton. And then they, I took the train up to London to work for Cygnosis. And um, 
that at that time, you know, I knew nothing. I still knew nothing about the game. I was just a bunch of different parts and different accents. And then I left the next day and went back to America. But um, it was funny when they were saying, do a cross between these two accents. I'm like, okay, how would that happen? They said, oh, Which title you know, was that uh, for Cygnosis? Ring Cycle. I don't know if it ever came out, you know, the, but that's what it was. Well, another another huge series that you did uh, was was Nancy Drew, and um, <laughs> amazingly, like her in her interactive, they came from American Laser Games, which were the kind of laser disc pioneers that did um, Mad hmm. Dog McCree and stuff like that previously. So they had that kind of interactive video connection. What what was it like doing that series? It was quite interesting because um, Nancy was not allowed to be cool or hep or be, um, what would you call it, confrontational when she was asking questions of things. She was all had to be Miss Goody Two-Shoes, you yeah. know what I mean? Um, nicey, nicey. I couldn't make, you know, I couldn't even say things like, um, whoa, you know, that was too cool. I'd probably have to say, gee, or whatever. <laughs> But, the, um, the kind of geeky uh, Well, it was to try to appeal to 8 to 15-year-old girls and be all... Um, and you know what is amazing to me is I never realized how many... I should. I hate even saying this, how many fans mm. that I have, but they're always... They're still, to this day, they're writing me to do a congratulations or a happy birthday or some sort of mystery thing for their wife or their girlfriend or their, their boyfriend or some some gay couple getting married. You know what I mean? They will have me do these these clips which i do for free and um so i'm glad that she still has some life but in the old games the writer was i mean the writers were just fabulous and you could inadvertently learn math uh by having to feed horses different amounts of things for which you did not have the accurate measuring cups for so you would you would learn what would total the amount by mixing certain amounts of measuring cups, or they would have things of observing different birds or identifying different things. And then as it got later and later, it just became a bunch of puzzles, which was okay, but you didn't really learn anything. And then they went to the Unity engine and fired everybody, <laughs> including <laughs> me. <laughs> and I think that's kind of where it rests. I'm not sure they're going to be back with anything. Well, well, something totally different um, to Nancy Drew was. Um kind of uh, these legacy titles which would be like soul blade and um mortal Kombat as well so y- you were on the mm. recent recent titles of those and uh, uh no i was only on mortal Kombat nine nine okay uh, yeah i was uh sindel and shiba for oh, that nice. and i didn't know anything about warner brothers was there and in the la studios and uh it was so funny because i didn't know any of the story about it at all i didn't even know how the game played so later when i saw the youtube clips <laughs> and how actually i'd be fighting myself i would be sindel ripping shiva apart and she you know how you they rip each other from it's, the head it's brutal in isn't it <laughs> it is so gory i'm like oh my god so um the emotes were probably the exertions were probably the most uh the set was not your typical attack being attacked die there'd be stuff like um Okay, uh, you jump somersault, somersault, okay, or land and flip over, okay. So it was fun, and then I got done with Sindel, and we did Shiva, and I said, they said, okay, that's a wrap. I'm, wait a minute, doesn't Shiva have exertions? Oh, you can do exertions in a different voice? 
Well, duh. <laughs> really? Nobody else has been able to do that. And this is it was Technicolor Studios at the time, which is one of the bigger L.A. studios. They're gone now. But they were chasing after me because I guess that was some unique ability that I didn't realize not everybody had. <laughs> but you, you were also Ivy as well, weren't you? Oh, yes. I remember Ivy. Um, there was a first Ivy that they brought me up and said, we want you to kind of sound like this. And with a British accent, it's fine. But there are certain sentences that are not conducive to a British accent, like see them or something, you know, or whatever. So I remember there was a little uh, Japanese guy and he was coming in the room with me to show me what to do for exertions. And he goes, okay, the first time you do a little exertion, like maybe you stab with a knife, just go, I said, oh, you mean like, and he goes, oh, you have done this before? Oh, yeah, nice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And the same thing, I got to tell you a cute story with um, Sonic. Oh, yeah. Okay. Because yeah. right. um, uh, you did a bit on Sonic as well, didn't you? Yeah, I was Rouge the Bat for Sonic Adventures, and we worked on Sonic Heroes as well. But the funny part about it was that the Japanese people had not recorded any Japanese before they had animated it. <laughs> So the animators would put in big, wow, like mouth things. And it was inappropriate to what we were saying at the time. And so they finally just, we had to roll three quarter inch tape and uh, back it up to watch the scene. And it would just be totally not matching where the, the stuff, and they would go, oh, it's okay. Just make it last as long as the Japanese symbols are on the screen. So if you ever have a problem with thinking that the lip flap wasn't big, now you know why. It, it's because... There was no Japanese. So it's kind of like bad dubbing where it was, uh, you know, yeah. <laughs> the, the mouth didn't yeah. actually match what was coming out of it. Right. Um, so Amy would be walking along going, I said, can she go do, 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 do? No, we can't say anything. So she'd be walking along this very boring hedge and her mouth would all of a sudden go, wow. And then she'd walk along <laughs> some more. And then she, then the monster would come and her mouth wouldn't open at all. I'm thinking, okay, she needs to yawn or do something because her mouth is open. Nope, can't have that. Can we make some noises for the monsters? Nope, can't have that. No room. You know, I'm thinking like, okay, well, um, that was a kind of an interesting thing. They wanted the people to actually look like the characters. Mm. Nakasan was an interesting guy. Um, and I said they made us do a whole other audition after they'd already chosen the voices and john st john was biggie okay the big fat cat yeah and um oh my gosh uh it was a mess a complete mess because i forbade naka from seeing the people that were coming by who in the hell is going to look like an echidna yeah, yeah they said that john st john wasn't fat enough <laughs> you know i'm thinking <laughs> yeah we're going to have a, a hedgehog yeah, a guy with quills coming out of him, you know. <laughs> with blue we're going to have that. Yeah. And then it was one of the first times where they'd always let women do the kids' voices. Hey, Sonic, you know, tails, whatever. They always use that. But this is the one time where they wanted to use real kids. And I, I warned them against that. I said, number one, they take longer to do. Number two, their voices can change if you have sequels. And nope, they still want to do that. And we had to go through three kids because they reached puberty. The, fun, the funny part in studio when I was doing Rouge was there was a part that she was supposed to sound like she's climbing up a cliff. And I know how to go. Like, <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. It's like this. 
and the guy would hold his his hand up like you're giving a V sign, like a victory sign, mm-hmm. and he'd hook his two fingers over and go, huh. and I go, that is climbing a cliff. But yes, <laughs> okay. So I went, huh. no, 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 like this, and he would make that same gesture. I'm doing exactly the same sound that he's doing. But he finally comes in the student, you know. I mean, where I am, he comes in my my space, stands behind me, and does the little. And you know what I realized? All I was missing was the gesture. Ah. So I made I made the gesture and did the same sound. He goes, "Yes, yes." <laughs> so no one's gonna see the gesture. But yeah. Exactly. But the point too was that they had Sonic drowning by saying "blub blub." That's like having a horse say, nay, nay, you know, and I, I said, can we make him go, blub, blub. no, he wow. has to say blub, blub. Yes. Okay. And that's all I said. And then I was deemed as being difficult to work with. Yeah, that, that that's, that's really interesting. Cause that was like a, a period where it was going 3D and uh, the transition was always a bit painful. <laughs> going into well, you that remember kind of the, the terrible. Mode. Do you remember one of the most iconic memes or whatever was "All your base are belong to us"? Oh yes. Yeah. Well, yeah. that's a great example of um, of the bad scripts. You know what I mean? But yeah. how they become iconic because they are so bad. And I've had many games like that, uh, Ill Bleed, and where they go, Johnny, Johnny, Ugh, Johnny, Ugh, Ugh, Johnny, Ugh, Ugh. You know, you're just like, what the heck? And, and, I, and I guess it's all different regions as well. So um, do you speak any other languages? Do you have to do like... Um, no, we don't. We don't. We languages? could do localization, but it's been hard because, and yes, a lot of our games, when I do Neverwinter, it gets localized to many different languages. And so they ha- we have to record our stuff to send over wherever they're doing the localization so they sound like us. But the problem is, I think a lot of people, for example, I've worked with a company in Finland and they spoke really good English. And, you know, they got their English from watching old American TV shows like Knight Rider. Ah, okay. (laughs) So I think it's better if sometimes, because of the cultural difference in acting, such as German, they Mm. kind of act like machine gun. Because I know, because I've gotten the German stuff to listen to mm. and they would choose voice number one can do these nine parts can be all the same voice because they're not in the same scene together are you kidding um okay but we don't do things that way but culturally even the japanese um they would speak more a, a different way in the cadence and you know mm. asian people more respectful you know things of that you know I'm, I'm not talking like chicken number five i'm not talking like that i'm just talking about um more ceremonious and the Germans are much more attacked. Da, 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 da. And so localizing, I think, is probably beneficial when it's uh, subtitled in the language and then they can hear the English acting. But and, it's and, okay. And I guess it's like it's, it's like you said with the British thing where it's not, not everybody's that kind of stereotypical pronounced English. It's There's, there's a lot of regional stuff in there as well. And with every regional, language, not, there's a kind of regional vibe or there's a, a different well the thing you, know. you don't want to do you can you can really offend people we did a you know like i told you we did the the hitler game and all that stuff and we had some somebody that was german in there and because you can have bavarian and austrian and mm. everything speaking german um because of what happened in the war i guess the situation between austria and germany not being good or let's just say korea 
and Japan not being great, you have to be careful. Yeah. Because you can't sound like Arnold. You can't sound like Arnold Schwarzenegger. You're going to offend a German. Yeah. You know exactly. what I'm saying? Yeah. So it's a uh, it's a strange thing that you have to be kind of neutral. Um, and even I I studied German and Spanish and uh, I studied from Gunther Schultz who would say that CHs are pronounced ich ich liebe dich not ich liebe dich, and there's a difference of Bavaria, you know, having the sh instead of the ch kind of a sound. So you have to be when when um, a company called Localsoft, which is a localization company in Spain, they would get their Spanish recorded, believe it or not, in the Canary Islands. Wow. Because they feel they had the most neutral Spanish speaking because there's all kinds of Cuban influence when you get near Florida. Yeah. You know what I mean? There's all these different things. But I'd say when we're asked for a British accent, um, generally they're not going to specify, you know, like uh, West End or Croydon or something of that nature. It's, it's going to be more along the Lord of the Rings, you know what I mean? The yeah. more more the Galadriel, the, the RP thing, the Jean-Luc Picard and Star Trek. Harry Potter, of that, you know. kind of. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's not going to be allowed because that's another thing that Americans, uh, the theater has turned Cockney, which is not, it's just a rhyming language, like apples and pears or stairs, you know? It's not, hello, what's that matter with you? You know, that's like Mary Poppins, you know, but <laughs> yeah. that's that uh, Famously, uh, Dick Van Dyke was the uh, I know. <laughs> big one. Yeah, that was... I know. And so that that is, again, when people say Cockney, I don't think they realize, they mean the American bastardization of what theater did um, yeah. to that thing, but we don't have any call for it. As a matter of fact, most games don't even ask for French accents unless they're prostitutes oh, God. or something. <laughs> yeah. um, I, so. I, I, could, I could imagine with, um, with kind of like the pandemic and stuff, it's, has working remotely been a, mm-hmm. a, a big change? And uh, do people still kind of prefer in-studio work or is, is working remotely becoming a, a, a lot more of a thing well, for you? I'll tell you, uh, they always want you to have Source Connect paid I don't have it. I go to another studio when they want that. And um, that's how you can be in one place and record like you're doing, you know what I mean? You're recording somewhere else. But to me, that you will get a line loss when you do that. Just like ISDN is kind of a thing of the past, but you can use IPDTL to hook up to somebody else's ISDN. But what they always do when they have that in a session where you are somewhere, but it's your equipment and you're simultaneously recording somewhere else, is they'll have you save the file and then upload the raw file later so there's no loss. Okay. Ah, okay. So I will tell you this though, it's changing. We're going, we're being asked, like I'm still asked to go to LA uh, to work for Blizzard or um, I just worked on a Marvel title. And so um, I, I was in the studio, <laughs> the people directing me are remote. So I have to, you know, travel quite a distance. I don't mind. I, I will do it, no problem. But they're making the talent be in the studio, but everybody else is is at home. And, and I don't think there's anybody. That must be surreal. Told. Are they like on a screen or something then? Well, one person, that one director was on a screen. The other one was just a still picture. And then I remember um, for Hearthstone, no, was it Hearthstone? Yeah. Hearthstone, which is not out yet. I mean, I've been in several Hearthstones, but the one that I most recently worked on, um, there was two women and I didn't even know who they were. They weren't regular directors. I think they were designers or something. And they were just, you know, the engineer would show me a picture and then they would give their two cents on it and have you do it that way. 
So, um, yeah, it's it's interesting because they used to have guest directors, hmm. and that'd be making sense because the director would be there, and you know, maybe I like to move, and I don't care. I'm not trying to show off or do anything on be on camera. But the point is that nowadays there's a mix of Source Connect being used a lot. But when people are, are now making you kind of go into the studio, and it's okay. I'm not that afraid of the pandemic. Everything has, has got to be pre-approved um, for health standards. Yeah. And I guess, I guess they need that studio surrounding as well to have the, you know, the, the kind well, of... Well, you would think so, but how are you going to get it with Source Connect? Now, there's another thing that another company was doing, and they were providing, if you lived in L.A., they would provide you with a remote recording unit. I'm thinking, uh, but I had to drive up to Encino to record at their studio for consistency. And in my mind, I'm thinking, how are you going to have consistency with people with a remote recording unit <laughs> when they're in different environments? But that's another thing that's happening. If uh, it's convenient, they will send out a rig. Because a lot of voice talents, especially celebrities, they are not engineers like we have to be. Mm. Yeah. We have to learn how to record ourselves and, and set the right levels and use a microphone and all that kind of stuff, which um, a lot of people were used to just letting the studio do that. So that's imperative right now. You have to learn how to use the software and how to set levels and get a clean recording no matter what. Because whether or not we're connected with Source Connect or recording on our own, it's got to be you know, comparable and sound dry, like somebody's not recording in a bathroom or with a parakeet chirping in the in the. <laughs> background or something like that so uh, that's part of being a voice actor now is being your own engineer and having decent equipment well I, I was wondering like you've done a lot of video game titles I was wondering what's been your most enjoyable and kind of favorite game voice that you've ever done I think being the monsters uh, the end bosses uh, the dragons I was in Rift and all the stuff in Warcraft and um, but also <laughs> I think the the weirdest one was Last of Us, and um, that was the cordyceps, you know, infection that would turn these things into basically walking mushrooms or something at different stages of infection. And uh, when I was brought in, somebody from Blizzard had recommended me, and I didn't know what I was doing. And at that time, they didn't have anything really except stick figures, the avatars hmm. going through everything from choking falling down, writhing on the ground, throwing up, you know, all this was in a sequence that might last about two minutes. And I was doing the whole thing. And um, at the end, you know, it's kind of like an energized zombie, <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. So I said, you know, I can be a lot more scary than this. And they said, oh, really? Well, we're out of time now, but we have these clickers and they communicate making clicks. So why don't you imagine yourself being with other clickers, surrounding a table with a man strapped to it, and you want to have sex with him, go. I'm like, huh? You know, uh, then, you know, you can do clicking by going out or uh, in. And so I did that. Then they, okay, they didn't have me for the clicker for that one. That was the next release. But they, on the way home, the agent called and said, they want you for the bloater. And that was the end boss. And I didn't know what, they were, what it was going to look like. So I managed to get it to record in San Diego. And I go in and they said, okay, we imagine it to be like a sea mammal, like a seal having sex. Go. 
I'm like, what's with this having sex stuff, you know? <laughs> so, so those are the, you know, you have to, because I told him, you know, I've watched enough nature programs that usually male seals only make noise when they're fighting other male seals. Mm. And so I had to imagine something like, you know, and do this for an hour. But th- so, those are iconic characters as well. Like th- 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 those games, Last of Us, are like just absolutely amazing like they've been such a huge success well then that for the second game when i came for their clicker they had the clickers animated and so we, we would they would play the whole scenario of me like banging into walls and running down alleys and doing all this other kind of stuff and that was um interesting to do uh it really does get the heart rate up because um you have a rubber cap on and uh lavalier mics you know, lav mics attached to your forehead. And they do that so they think you can be not getting off axis of the mic. So they expect you to be moving a lot, which surprised me. But, you know, when you're exerting a lot of energy, the heat normally escapes off your head. So when you have a cap on, (laughs) you get overheated pretty darn quickly. But uh, I enjoy things like that and and, uh, making up the foreign languages. And I just think it's... uh, so the thing where I flap my cords like that is something that not a lot of people can do. And when it gets pitched down, it sounds neat because a lot of times when guys try to be low and tough, when they get pitched down, it sounds all retarded. Yeah, you know, it sounds yeah. really like, no, I'm really stupid. So um, that's something that I'm kind of iconically known for. But so anytime I have something that's evil, wicked, mean and bad and nasty, um, I prefer that rather than being Oh, hello, I'm Nancy Drew. Hi, we're here at Castle Malloy. I mean, I liked it. I really appreciate being Nancy Drew for that many games. But um, I kind of get off being somebody that's not who I really am, you know. (laughs) Well, Lani, this has been absolutely amazing. Uh, Really enjoyed this interview. And I was just wondering, um, where where can our listeners kind of find out about your work and um, check out some of your stuff? Well, I do have a web page, LonnieManella.com. My business is Audio Gods with a Z on the end. And um, I'm on YouTube. You can look me up by my name. I have a playlist and there's a bunch of trailers. And like I said, the Queen's Corgi. And I was the voice of the Pandora at the world of Avatar, Disney. All those clips are there that might be more amusing for somebody to find. And I really appreciate it. I've had a lot of fun. Thank you so much for having me. (laughs) 